You're listening to High Shelf Gaming. In this episode, we are so very fortunate to have Randall Porter coming on the show. He's the unofficial Gen Con historian and is able to share with us and goes in in depth into how Gen Con kind of ended up in indie and what its pain points were and what it was like under the TSR days and then the Wizards of the Coast days. This episode is really enlightening as to the history of the show and how everything ended up the way that it is now. And I think it's humbling for Gen Con and, and for other shows to see a glimpse into what it was like before it became the best four days in gaming or whatever the new tagline is. It was something else and it's always been kind of special. So let's get started. High Shelf Gaming is a podcast where David and Rich discuss tabletop gaming. Everything from board games and role-playing games to gaming conventions. They provide reviews, strategies, tips, and house rules to enhance your gaming and convention-going experience. Hey everyone, David here with High Shelf Gaming, and as always, I'm joined by the Jurassic Rich. Cheers, cheers, Dave. Great to be here. And today I would like to be referred to as King Richard for this episode. And that even falls along with your geriatric comment that you made about how old I am. And I should have said geriatric, but I went with I went with dinosaurs because I like dinosaurs more. Oh, ger- geriatric or geriastic. It depends if you're in England. That's 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 geriatric. Stop it. I was converting your terrible American language to the Queen's English. <clears throat> Is that what you're doing? Yeah, I, I was, I was trying. Doubt this. That, that was my <laughs> terrible English accent that I'm going to work uh, on. Uh-huh. Yeah, you should keep working on it, my friend. But I am going to be King Richard because today is very much, a very much of, it's kind of has that feel today of history. We have it this does. ancient Jurassic term, and then we have an ancient dead king. That's right. That's right. And also joining us, who's who's neither a dinosaur nor a dead king, Randy, the keeper of ancient Gen Con lore. Mm, Welcome to the show, king. Randy. Oh, yes. Thank you very much. Uh, waitress, please. Uh, waitress. I thought you guys said there was wait- a waitress here. Yeah, no, no we don't do no. any drink service or anything here. I'm so sorry. It is BYOB. All right, you got to well, bring yeah. your yeah. own bottle. That's yeah. right. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, thanks. Um, uh, yeah, thank you very much, guys, for having me here on the show. I really appreciate that. Uh, yeah, yeah, this is exciting we're for us. Excited. So, uh, you are like actually a Gen Con historian, which is amazing for us to have have someone of any kind of <clears throat> real well, gravitas, is what I'll say. <laughs> well, well, when you outlive, you know, most of your uh, most of your compatriots going to Gen Con after uh, after forty one years, and you know, you finally realized all those boxes out in the garage actually have you know, people, stuff that people were actually interested in. And then when people start calling you up saying, is it true in Gen Con 78, they had, uh, they had flop space that you could buy, you could rent. And, uh, wow. Wow. And, and that at Gen Con Parkside, people were actually sleeping out in the, in the parking lot. And I, and I'll tell them actually did. And I did in my VW <laughs> minibus. <laughs> yes. And that we actually uh, used the uh, gymnasium and uh, didn't have a place to store our stuff. So we'd go run in there and take a shower. So you were in there showering, you know, with, you know, famous game designers and, and just the regular hoi polloi. And because since the uh, TSR are a bunch of cheapskates and refused to 
air condition the gym. You know, oh. you, you know, you go in there a couple times a day, take a shower. So you know, that was a uh, one of the benefits wow. of uh, See, one of so- the benefits of uh, you know having the uh, have Gen Con at uh, University Way. Wisconsin at Parkside. See, this folks, is going to start a whole argument about yes. when did people start smelling at Gen Con? Because it sounds like oh. back in the day there was lots of showers. Yeah, okay, is- they always smelled. They always smelled. I'll bet. I'll bet. I mean, especially with an unair conditioned space. Like, come on, folks. Like, that's just no fun. Oh, no it, fun for it, anybody. It, it was the thing is that there were some of us who went, "Wow, we have showers." And remember. We were dealers, and so we are smarter than the average bears. So, you know, we took advantage of that. So Sure. I'd love to get a sense for from you. Like, what kind of games do you play? You have obviously are deeply ensconced in the Gen Con lore, but you game there as a gamer, I'm certain. So what, what, what draws you to Gen Con? What are the uh, games that well, you like to play? Well, the thing is, I came in first playing White Box D&D. And then yes. uh, uh, 79, there was this little company called uh, uh, GDW and had these black boxes full of games with black covers. It was called Traveler. Yes. With a black dice with red pips. So we got that. And then a, a company called Metagaming, which had this game called Ogre. A year or two later, I met Greg Stafford at Chaosium. And he had this cool, later came out with this cool game called Call of Cthulhu. Oh, fun. of it. Oh, yes. We just wrapped up a Call of Cthulhu game, actually, online, which was so much fun. And Greg became a very, very good friend of mine. And for I think I just did a quick count that I worked 13 years for Chaosium in the booth. Wow. And so basically, it's it was the whole gamut. Miniatures, role-playing, and then also I played the big game. That is working in the booth uh, for various companies, and then at the end of the convention taking all the games that I had earned and then seeing what games I could trade other game companies product for and seeing what I could call away from the shop, from the convention without having to pay a dime for. Wow. So there's this whole like bartering game that you're playing. That's under. That's the big game. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I cannot wait to hear more about the big game. This is okay. You're blowing my mind because this is the first I've heard of it. And I just desperately want to know more. That is so great. Uh, so that, you know, that was, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, you know, miniatures, there's anything, you know, the, you know, I worked for Heritage for a number of years, and it was like, all the miniatures I could eat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, min, you know, Heritage was the first game company to get a licensed IP from a, you know, a licensed IP, they had the first Star Trek role playing game for start, the first Star Trek, they had the Star Trek figures, they had the first Lord of the Ring figures. Oh, they man. The they're first, the fantasy flight of their day. No, they were the they were the games workshop of their day. You bought oh. the, they sold you the figures, they sold you the game, they sold you the the painting instructions, they sold you the paints, and they sold you the brushes. <laughs> yes, yes they be- these these brushes only work with our paints, and our paints well, only work with our models, and our models only work with our games. Well, they <laughs> actually kind of invented the ten, they per, pretty much introduced the ten ot brush to gaming, you know, sort of like the perfect gaming brush. I've gone through so many of those back when I was doing Warhammer. And basically, they also said, you know, you really need to prime your figures before you paint them. You know, it's a lot easier. Paint sort of holds holds better. Now, the thing is, the paint, the the primer they were using was basically, you know, white enamel, you know, uh, house paint. Oh, fun. But, you know. (laughs) 
You know, that's <laughs> so really funny, like though, because we definitely never friends. primered our minis back in the day. You just kind of wow. painted them up the best you could. That was sort of my way into the gaming industry and sort of my way into Gen Con. And, you know, I did Origins. Like I've always told people, I may be married to Gen Con, but I've been dating Origins longer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, Origins and Gen Con both have a lot of kind of shared history, as I understand it. Can you kind of break down just a little bit where where they were sometimes shared and then started splitting and, and that kind of thing? Can, can you describe that at all? I was trying to remember in 1979, no, 1978, Origins was in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, one of the early Gen Cons. Gen Con 78 in August, of, August 17th to the 20th. It was always the third weekend of August for the longest period of time because that's hmm. when they could get the Horticultural Hall in uh, Lake Geneva because that was when that's just when they could get it. And they had really bad rains. And also, uh, that was the first year they got University of Wisconsin at Parkside in the oh. woods. Oh, well, you can set up tents and sleep in the park very easy. Well, the thing is, parks, the thing is, there was a park. It was Stinking Springs Park. It was a county park. Ooh, not a good name. Yeah, yeah not, a, not a good name. But the thing is, there the four approaches to UWP, three of them got flooded. And so <gasps> they had uh, the, the, the walk-in attendance took a hit. Sure. And that was also the same year that Origins was in Michigan. And so they blamed sort of the lower attendance. Well, all right, Gary blamed the lower attendance in the Dragon because of Origins being so close. Oh. And also the fact is that they moved the location from Lake Geneva to UWP. Right, now, yes, there was a year of change because they're moving locations and it's floods, so there's not as many ways in. Surely there's going to be a dip whenever you make that many changes and you've right. got inclement weather. Now, the thing is, that was the first move from, have you guys ever been to Lake Geneva, like for GaryCon? No. I haven't yet. I really want to go to GaryCon, though. Okay, well, if you if you haven't planned on going to GaryCon this year, too bad. Because you really have to start planning to go to GaryCon, like, in November. Because to get a room and to buy a ticket and everything like that, you really have to plan way out. Because it's it, it fills up really quickly. Yeah, oh, it's a, is, how big is it? I mean, it can't be as, you know, and everyone wants to go. I mean, it's maximum attendee has to be really low. Well, I think it's like 3,000 right now. Yeah, I'm, right. I, I'm not really sure, sure. I haven't since I, I, I don't go anymore since I really pretty much had to save for Origins and Gen Con. But it has, uh, it's really, really grown. But the thing is, Lake Geneva has such limited hotel accommodations. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's it's maxing now, and that's the same thing it was in 1977. Now the light, the last year they were in Lake Geneva, that's when they were staying at the Playboy Resort. That's what I thought. I saw Ooh, in the History boy. of Gen Con website that there was at one year where Gen Con was in like two or three locations. Right. And it was like and, the Playboy Resort and like. Uh, the horticultural hall oh. and like one other location all yeah, they, in the same town. And people were like shuttling themselves between the different locations. Now the present location for uh Gary Con is at the resort that the playboy Res playboy resort used to be. It's no uh, longer it's, the playboy resort. No, it's no longer, but the thing is, it's what very the nice. Weirdest it's very, thing there. It's very nice. But uh, the same reason that Gen Con moved from Lake Geneva to UWP is the same reason it moved from UWP to Milwaukee and from Milwaukee to Indianapolis. Just is, too big. Well, uh, you know, it's, it's actually 
three reasons. It's location got too small, not enough places to stay, right. and not enough places to eat. And oh, right. I w- I've been through three of the moves. UWP in between Kenosha and Racine is a wonderful location out in the middle of the woods. It's four different buildings connected by sky bridges and then plus the gymnasium, which is where they moved, finally moved the um, dealer's room. And if you're going to be a geek, it's better to be a geek out in the middle of the woods. You can re- let your freak flag fly. Because <laughs> there's and not what, a lot of normals, normals run around looking at you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally, it's it for the, the years that it was there, it was a very safe place. Plus, it's university food, so the food was cheap. People were camp- camping out in the parking lot. Everyone there who was at UWP was there for the same reason. You mm. were not having to share the facility with the Green Grocers Association or something. Gotcha. And so, you know, it was it was a great place for Gen Con to grow. The last year or so, they realized that, you know, we should force the uh, Gen Con attendees to get hotel rooms. <laughs> <laughs> And not just stay in a gymnasium that doesn't have AC. Or the park. Right, well, or, or the parking lot. And so right. basically they were they were kicking people out of the parking lot. So there were maybe four or five hotels in Kenosha and five or six in Racine. At that point, Gen Con pretty much said, well, it's time to put our big boy pants on. And uh, in, uh, well, let's see, in, I printed everything out. Yeah, and uh, I like how uh, you do have notes, and this is going to be factually correct, unlike most things I say, dear listener. In 1985, all roads led to Mecca, the Midwest Exposition and Convention Center and Arena in Milwaukee. We did not have the the full center. We had the East and West first floor exhibition space and the second floor. It was a it was a good place, except that you know we just had a few of the you know a few of the hotels and. The funny thing was, is that Milwaukee really didn't know how to handle us. The mall was right a block across the street from the convention center, and yet it closed at 6 o'clock oh on my Friday gosh. and Saturday night. Oh, no. Oh, no. It closed at Friday and Saturday night every weekend until Gen Con left. God, you think we got problems nowadays? We don't have any problems nowadays. Yeah, not not compared to that. Where now it's the like, thing, I have to get out and eat. I have to plan to eat before the town shuts down at six o'clock. Now the third floor, which was the food court, the people who ran those little food kiosks were screaming at the at the convention center, saying, uh, "Put up some, some those temporary fences. Get some guards to direct people to the elevator escalator so that we can stay open till nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to make money. We right. want to feed people. No. Oh, no. No, no. I mean, it was, and, you know, they they just, I mean, this there was an Arby's, there was a Greek place, there was a Rocky Rococo's, you know, four, there was a dozen places that wanted to feed Gen Con attendees, that loved Gen Con, because they always made their bank. Oh, yeah. Gen Con. You know, Milwaukee loved us. And they didn't like us. You know, that was just one of the things. Oh, because because there'd be this flood of people going out right as everything's closing. Oh, yeah. Right. Because because if they're closing at six and the dealer hall closes at six, that means that your booth had to, like, send a scout to go out and lock down a table and say, you got to stay open because I've got like 10 people about to come in here. (laughs) 
That is yeah. rough. That is really rough. Yeah, I could definitely see how the town would not be prepared for something like that. It would feel very inconvenienced <laughs> by this flood of new business. Yeah, uh, now you were talking about Gen Con and Origins. When we had the uh, Origins in Dallas, I was at a party and I'm trying to remember, and you won't believe the woman's name. Where is where did I put her? I wrote this down. I wrote this down this morning. Helena Rubenstein, the president of West End Games. I was at a party, and she said, and I was, you know, I was just nobody. I was, you know, I was I was working for the for for the convention. And she said, What would you think if if Origins was held at Gen Con? And I, oh, you know, wow. I said, and I said, uh, well, that would save me some money. I wouldn't have to go to two shows this, you know, that year. And, right. you know, if I was a dealer, you know, if I was a company, that would mean one less show, probably, you know, possibly, you know, since the shows were traveling around. And she said, okay, thank you. And, and so then they had two Gen Con origins. And because, you know, back then, you know, Gary had really kind of, if you ever read any of the Gary, any of the editorials in in the in the Dragon, Gary was always sniping at the other game companies or Gamma. There was the famous Gen Con in the in the dealer's room in the gym. TSR would always be at the end, and they had one where one year where they had a radio controlled robot, and it was talking. You know, it would start at one end and sort of tried to lead people. <gasps> You know, oh, oh my to gosh. TSR. Oh, to, my down gosh. to TSR. You, and, you imagine as a dealer, you pay all this money to go to a Gen Con thing, and Gen Con has this like robo that walks up to your customers while you're talking to them and says, Follow me to TSR. <laughs> the thing is, is that they'd done this editorial and had really pissed off the game companies. So the game companies decided that they were going to attend Gen Con but not send any of their official company employees. Oh, so, that's so weird. I, so I showed up at Gen Con, and I was working for Heritage USA, the, the miniatures company, but the only guys that they sent were a bunch of crazy Texans. And these are all te- <laughs> Those teenagers. boys from Texas. Yeah, And they were boys from Texas. The, 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 guy, the, the two other adults were a guy who had lived in Racine, and then... One of the guys who was friends of the uh, business manager, yes. and they were the adults. And it ended up that I was the only person there who knew how to set up the booth. Yes. And so they kept plotting and planning on how to sabotage the robot. I said, guys, please, uh, they do arrest people for you know for you know malicious intent. You right. know, I you know I, you know you know I could probably get bail, but I don't think you guys can get bail. <laughs> Sounds like you've done that before, Randy. No, 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 no. I just was raised by, you know, I was just raised by parents who said, we're not bailing you out of jail. Okay. But that, you know, that was just one of the times that, you know, that, that you know, but the thing is, the signs that everyone had up in their booth was said, proud member of Gamma. And so this was later on, I think after Gary had been kicked out. And so they were trying to do men some fences in the industry. And one mm. of them was doing the uh, merging the shows. 
And they did that twice. You know? Gotcha. So that makes so much sense to me because as a as someone who comes new to Gen Con, you you hear about when oh there was this time when Gen Con and Origins were together. Yeah, it was eighty eight and ninety two is when they did the two of them, <laughs> both in both in Milwaukee, uh, both in Mecca. Did they have just such diverse audiences at that time, or was it just that well let's just do it? There wasn't as many attendees, and it really made it a bigger impact. Yeah, I'd almost imagine that your your numbers would be larger because it's both shows at once and people don't have to decide which one to go to. Wait a second, I got the numbers right here. Nice. Uh, this is awesome. I, <laughs> I, I just I just copied and pasted on the uh, a Word document the the Wikipedia. Now, oh, they don't have the they don't have the attendance, but it was under uh, under ten thousand probably uh, the first one. And the other one was under eighteen thousand, but that was a problem with Gen with the uh, TSR Gen some of the Gen Cons, is that TSR sometimes would publish turnstile figures, and sometimes wouldn't, and so some of the later, you know, some of the TSR figures you just sort of have to, you know, take them with a grain of salt, right? You know, the thing is that as far as Gen Con attendance figures from the start of the Watsi era, are pretty rock solid. Some of the TSR figures, when when they start shooting way, way up, then you start going, okay, because, <laughs> because Mecca was a small, you know, was a small venue. Yeah. You know, you couldn't put... Uh, let me find, let me find some wacky figures. <laughs> 30,000 people in Mecca, you know, 27,000. That just doesn't seem right. You know, even with the arena across the street, that, you know, it doesn't work. You know, there was some there was some wackiness about the later years of Gen Con about how things were managed. Stories that I was told by the late Dave Arneson when uh, when Peter bought the, bought the show. If you want to hear that jumping ahead and everything. Sure. Yeah. OK, well, I forget who's writing the book, but it should be coming out soon. The Death of TSR. That's going to be a really great book when that Ooh, comes out. I bet. It's on a rival. It's on a rival podcast, but it's worth listening to. We love all podcasts. When basically checks had to be walked over and delivered cashier's checks to the various. Uh, Nineteen ninety-seven, when a Wizards bought TSR, basically TSR was about ready to go bankrupt, and sure. so Peter and and Watsy had to get checks to the various debtors to get a lot of the t- products and printers satisfied to get product out the door. One of the things that had to get out the door was the pre-reg books for Gen Con and also to walk checks to the mailers. One of the people that Peter brought in to TSR to help smooth the waters was Dave Arneson. Now, this is a story that I was told by my late best friend, Stephen Lortz, who was a former employee at Adventure Games and very good friend of Dave Arneson. It was, Dave Arneson was a good friend of mine. And I'm probably one of the few people that Dave Arneson said that he would never, ever play a game with again because of certain things I did. Oh, oh, what game was it? Come on. It it was a pirate miniatures game. I cannot tell you over the air that if you see me at Gen Con, I will sit down and tell you because it is extremely profane. And (laughs) Dave, all my other friends said that it was the most brilliant game move in history. Dave just started shrieking and yes. said that was absolutely disgusting. I will never play another game with you, Randall Porter, again. <laughs> now, when you do that to the father of D&D, 
that I consider one of the greatest things I've ever done. Yes, that is an achievement to be sure. So Dave, so Peter brought Dave in, and one of the things that Dave said was that, according to what he figured out, he could see was the financing and organizations of Gen Con was the art department ran all the artwork and everything for Gen Con and also the finances with, what? Through, the, with through their budget. Wow. <laughs> the art okay. department. Right. But thing is, the there was no Gen Con budget. There oh. was The Gen Con manager did not have any control over any money. All the individual budgets ran through individual departments at TSR. Wow. So they had no idea if Gen Con ever made any money. If you walked in and registered for Gen Con, that registration card that had your name as a potential customer for Gen Con, they threw away. The database they had were only the people who had pre-registered before. Wow. Whoa. So they had no idea how many people walked up and bought tickets. Watsy had the Andon organization that they had bought to run the conventions that they, they that Watsy was going to run. So they basically dropped Andon in after that at 1997 because they wanted to see how TSR ran Gen Con. And right. Dave said that he just said, okay, it, it, it's a wonder it, it barely ran at all. Now, I'm repeating this all third hand that what Dave saw, that Dave told my friend Steve, you know, the other things like an entire room full of, of unpublished manuscripts and that they had hardly any automation. They had a few Macintosh computers to do layout with and the other things have been have been brought out and that Dave was there and how things ran much smoother the next year. Wow. Yeah. I mean, because there was definitely a time when Gen Con was nothing but like lines and people had to show up to everything, you know, in advance, like you could maybe pre-register, but there were still lines for a lot of stuff. Yeah, I was really curious. One of the things that was in my head was, you know, seeing the Gen Con flyers and Dragon and being able to mail your check mm. in with your events. Did they ever get back to you and say, oh, yeah, you're signed up? Or was it you showed up and no. you found out? No, the thing is, you got your you got your tickets. Okay. And that was it. You know, you're not, you know, if, if you, you, you had your, I'm trying to remember, because I was just looking at this, the, just this morning, uh, the pre-rage forms, and you just basically filled out what you wanted. And then you were given generics, like say, if you had 10 uh, events that you wanted, and you only got five, then you got five generics back. Oh, wow. So they're like, oh, we know you want to play 10. So we're going to go ahead and give you generics so you can play five other games. Right. Okay, so there's this like kind of period where post TSR, Watsi is coming through and really cleaning house, right? And right. getting and getting Gen Con so that it's solvent. Because <laughs> it sounds like maybe yeah. before it might not have been so solvent. Obviously, Magic the Gathering takes more and more center stage after the Watsi acquisition. Right. And, you know, nowadays Gen Con is run by the founder of Wizards of the Coast, who's now also out of Wizards of the Coast. Can can you kind of talk about the evolution of Gen Con during the, the Wizard of the Coast days and, and that transition to where it is now as an independent thing? Well, I can, I can talk about the, the move. Yeah. You know, we were, you know, I was attending Gen Con and I had actually done a, a, a Milwaukee website, the Key Prevention, Aki Gen Con Lore's website, which was basically a, a very small website about, okay, these are the hotels, these are the places to eat. 
these are the tips on how to go to Gen Con, uh, which came out of the various different essays I had done on rec.rpg.alt. Oh, Usenet. Yes. I was on Usenet, but I was checking out a lot different groups than that one. Oh, no. Yeah, when I was that, on that, Usenet, it was all about learning about games and paintball. And <laughs> so that is greatness. Well, that was uh, that was the one that Shannon Appleklein and a bunch of us were on that were just that was the one that that was basically the rumors, the news, who's getting fired, company news and stuff like that. One Saturday, a friend of mine said, hey, Randy, have you heard that the bunch of people from Watts, you were in town and they're, they're shopping cities for Gen Con? And I said, Ooh. what? Oh, that was 1999, just shortly after they bought it. And I go, really? And so I go calling around to, my, to a couple of my sources and they said, yeah, they were here. So I call Visit Indy, and I said, my name's Randall Porter, and I have a Gen Con website, visiting website. I said, there are probably people who know, know more about Indianapolis, and there are probably people who know more about Gen Con, but there's nobody who knows more about Indianapolis and Gen Con <laughs> here in town. And they said, okay, let's have a meeting. And so I talked to them, and basically I said, hey, this is what Gen Con attendees want. This is what Gen Con attendees need, and Indianapolis has it. We have the hotels. We have more hotels in Milwaukee. We got more places to eat. We got more places to hang around and have fun. They had, they had looked at my website, and they said, okay, the people from Watsi are coming. And basically, I talked myself into being at their one of their pitch meetings. They said, how about you be here when we have – they had a big map of Indianapolis. And they said, how about you be here – uh, you you can't go on the tour with us, but you can be here and give us give the average gamer pitch. You know, huh. since at that point in 1990, I'd been going, like I said, since 1979. Now, the person who represented the top two people from Watsi at Gen Con came in and they started giving them about how many hotel rooms they had, how much they had given them the tour of Gen Con and everything. And then I gave them my pitch. I said, you know, this is a place that is, uh, you know, has great hospitality, great hotels, and everything is right downtown. We've got the mall that's open late. We've got nightclubs. You know, Indianapolis is going to be the place to move Gen Con. Wow. So you were part of the pitch to get it to Indy. I just did my part of being, you know, the representative for, for the gaming local gaming community. And a few months later, it was announced on the news. Uh, it was a Saturday morning. My, my mom said, Randy, on the news this morning, they said that Gen Con's moving to Indianapolis. And I went, what? And then the a poop storm hit the internet. Oh, sure. yeah. Everyone in Milwaukee, everyone in Wisconsin, they just said, you can't take our Gen Con. Gen Con belongs to Wisconsin. Gen Con belongs to Wisconsin. Blah, 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 blah. It was like, uh, okay. And you think we have good flame wars nowadays? Back then, oh. it was flame oh. wars with complete data behind it. Yes. And, and then yeah. calling people bad names in, you know, the highest form of uh, language that you can instead of the lowest form. Well, then Peter gave the explanation to us. Well, you know that four years ago, my, my father decided to come at the last minute. And TSR could not find him a room in the county of Milwaukee. Wow. So here I am, 
the guy who has the biggest product at the show, and they couldn't find him a hotel room. He, he had to uh, share a room with his city. dad. And I'm, and I'm going, okay, that's just, you know, I can just sit back. You know, T, you know Peter just, you know, just nuked, you know, nuked the... Uh, and so, you know, for the next six months, I'm digging out the hotel books. And I'm going, okay, we've got, you know, 500 hotel rooms downtown more than Milwaukee. And we're building two more hotels right now. And they never stop. And we're building, we're adding on, you know, our convention center is twice as large as as the Midwest Express Center. And we're adding on right now. Right. Uh, The growth potential is so much larger. At that time, Gary's throwing shade at the time. So I don't know. It shouldn't. Then the first Gen Con, you know, you know, and everyone's just really pissed. And they're pissed. They, you know, they find out who I am, and they're going. <laughs> and so that goes on for a couple of years, and then the last year, maybe before the last Gen Con, I'm in there. So I'm, I'm well, what do you, you know, I'm talking to uh, a clerk at the Hyatt, and I said, well, what do you guys? Last Gen Con's coming up, and the guy goes, yeah, I guess so we're gonna. Be, I'm glad we're gonna be rid of those damn gamers. Wow. And I'm going, whoa. Whoa, and I'm going because this is the number one hotel that Gen Con attendees want to get in, and this is what the hotel Responses, staff. Yeah. The, whereas every hotel <laughs> in Indianapolis is chomping at the bit for Gen Con to yeah. come. Right. Hope that's just a uh, single person because I hope well, that it was better. But we but, had, we had had training a few months before. I had gotten invited to the uh, the senior volunteers training. And had a blast with the seniors, um, and we—I got to go along with them and to the tour of all the hotels, and all the hotel personnel and staff were just going. We can't wait for Gen Con. We've heard how we've seen. We've sent some people last year to the last Gen Con, and they had so much fun. And we know you Gen Con attendees. We know the Gen Con attendees are great, you know, and and everything. And I'm going, okay. And the last Gen Con was pretty, there was a lot of bitter people. I mean, it was like, you know, except for the safe house, everyone else, it was like, you know, when I left Milwaukee, it was like, I'm shaking the dust off my feet. And there were a lot of uh, Gen Con attendees who were going, oh, I'm never going back to Gen Con. I'm never going back to Gen Con. And really, I mean, and those were locals. Those were local Milwaukee attendees. Oh, sure. Yeah. And the thing is, like two or three years later, they were in Indianapolis going, oh, I hate to say it, I'm having a really great time. Indianapolis is better than Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they're going, the bars, the bars aren't seedy and the you know, there's lots of fun places to eat. And, and yeah. you know, it, yeah. you know, I even had one guy who was just really adamant about it. And he just had to come up. He said, Yeah, I really like Indianapolis. It's, you know, you know, some parts are, you know, so there's no say the thing, the only thing they say is. Well, there's no safe house. I go, well, yeah, there, of course there's no safe house. This is Indianapolis. We don't have a safe house, you know, but. Right, right. Well, and it just seems one of those things that like, you know, change sucks. People don't like change. All right. Uh, and, but also like when the local attitude towards the convention is so, or, or rather could be so negative, 
moving to a place that's chomping at the bit, obviously there's going to be an improvement just in the area around like all the support that Gen Con gets from the bars and from the local restaurants and all that kind of stuff with Gen Con custom menus and all those things is like, I don't see that for any other convention. No other convention gets love from the town like Gen Con gets from Indy. Something a friend of mine told me whose father was a retired police officer, the cops fight to get their overtime to work work during Gen Con. That's awesome. Be- because they know the Gen Con attendees aren't going to give them any trouble. Right. Uh, <laughs> because they know that we're, you know, that we're, you know, they, first they want to see the costumes. Right. You know, and also they know that that even if they fi- even if they get somebody who's drunk, they know that the, their friends are with them and we're happy drunks. Right. You know, you know that that we're not belligerent and that the mounted cops know they're they have to worry about their their horses getting too much love. You know, <laughs> they get your horse, you know I want your, the, the only thing the cops have to worry about is 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 attendees wandering out into traffic. Yeah. Still. <laughs> you know, yeah. I uh, I was about to say, like, uh, just 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 distracted gamers is its own danger sense. But yeah. it makes a lot of sense that, like. You know, it's just easy money for for the for the officers that are doing yeah. So they have to use, work. Yeah, they have to use their seniority to see who's going to get to work Gen Con. But you know, it's what I always tell people is the Indianapolis has the total package, and I can I never see any other cities that have that whole thing. Other cities have hotels, other cities have, but they don't have everything connected in just this little tight package. And but thing is also the attitude, you know. Who's your hospitality is the state motto. And if you don't get good service, you know, most people here in Indianapolis and the state, they feel they feel personally offended that someone hasn't been that way to you. Yeah, I was going to say every local indie person, like thinking back to our Gen Con Amy and a bunch of the HSG community members that are from Indy. All of them incredibly nice, incredibly welcoming and, and, and immaculate hosts. Like I couldn't I would never have expected that given the cities I grew up in and how much it's a leave each other alone type attitude. And the fact that at Indy, I've just received so much open arm welcome and support from locals. And, you know, we are just a humble little show. Like it's really kind of amazing to us the the attitude of indie and the people within indie and just how eager everyone is to make it a an enjoyable experience i'm just incredibly lucky that for some for as big a part of gen con was pre-move it it was for me that it is here now and you know yeah i know that being it being here is not a permanent thing and i know it can move someday but then i keep thinking where you know right uh you know i know they're having the democratic national convention in uh in milwaukee but i know that convention center you know when i hear people say oh move it to vegas move it to all these other places and then i just keep hearing yeah you know no. horse dead all these other things but then i keep thinking where you know you know orlando's too far away you know it's Right. As someone who goes to corporate conventions in Orlando and Vegas, I got to say, none of those places have any kind of walkability or food or anything like that. So the amenities around the place, I mean, sure, there's giant convention centers in both of those places. But as soon as you leave that space, you're in a desert. There's nothing around you that is going to feed a bunch of gamers that don't want to pay convention 
prices. And Las Vegas will never have Gen Con. They, if Gen Con ever said, hey, we'd like to have Gen Con in Vegas, they'll say, no, you can't come here. You, we won't make money off of you. Goodbye. Right. Slam the door in our face. And the thing is, every year, Indianapolis makes it so more. We now have three, three grocery stores in downtown Indianapolis. Oh, wow. I wonder, before Gen Con, were there any? One, I think. Wow. But now we have three. We have Kroger, we have Needles, and we have the one Bezos owns. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Whole Foods. Whole Foods. We have three downtown grocery stores with an easy Uber, Uber, Uber distance. Kind of hearing how Gen Con grew out of its locals, the local area's ability to support Gen Con makes a lot of sense why it's in Indy. And it sounds like Indy is putting a lot of effort into growing, not necessarily for Gen Con, because there's other things to have, but like it in and of itself has been growing a lot of infrastructure around the convention center. And that is super beneficial to Gen Con, which is great. And also we just, they just announced a major factory is closing. The diamond chain factory is closing, which is caddy corner to the convention center which was sort of like the uh, anchor to the whole Kentucky Avenue development. And when that's gone, they're talking about that that might be where they put the, uh, the local soccer stadium. Well, if they do that, that opens up an entire area southwest of the convention center. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that whole area is kind of landlocked because there's a big, ugly factory there. Wow, that's so awesome, though. I, I love hearing that the the town has kind of revitalized and that there's a lot of life downtown. I mean, I see it every time I go every Gen Con. I, I work here at the university, and I can see when I go out to my car, the, the JW Marriott, the big blue tombstone. But, I mean, I drive past the convention center on my way home from work every day, so I see the groups coming and going. Other than the, the FFA kids, you don't see the life like you do for Gen Con. You know, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you, the city loves Gen Con. You know, the Gen Con attendees uh, tip better. They spend more money. The thing is, when the newscasters, they don't, they don't snicker as much as they used to, you know, because they know the Gen Con attendees put money in the uh, in the coffers. But they also know that it's fun. Yeah, uh, agreed. And I'm glad that, you know, it gets a lot more, I want to say, uh, validity than maybe it used to. And that's that's really, really cool. And I just I I, want to say, like, it's been really nice hearing about kind of where Gen Con began and how maybe sort of crazy it was and like how maybe it wasn't so solvent back in the day, but has certainly become so over time and is obviously a very well run enterprise at this point. Like, I couldn't even imagine doing what we do today. I could not imagine trying to do that back then like now it's just so much easier with so many tools and uh, you know obviously the the show has grown a lot and has become kind of a gold standard for how to run an event-based convention is there anything else that we haven't talked about that was you know we really wanted to make sure got into this episode well the one thing that's been lost over time are just those those moments and that i there are a few people who, who who remember this but uh, when you used to walk from the main complex at UWP to the uh, to the gym, uh, and if it was and it was a you know a nice little about you know couple hundred feet, and it was like a little rise, and it was kind of pra- there was prairie on one side and woods on the other, and if you walked over there just before the uh, the room opened, it was kind of usually 
one year, it was kind of foggy. And up on the little rise, I, I noticed, uh, I didn't notice him until I, I, I got about halfway there. There was a guy in full Highlander dress playing a bagpipe. Mm. And I didn't notice him until he kicked in the pipes. And I swear to God, I had a primal flashback. Uh, you know, and I'm, you know, and just the hair on the back of my neck rose. And I just kept on moving. Because uh, I'm thinking, okay, is this a vision? You know, am I having some sort of, you know, you know, you know, ancestral flashback? I go, no, I'm just at Gen Con. <laughs> and then, and, and the, I'm at Gen Con. And so, you know, I, I go there. And then when I, when I mentioned it in a posting on the Usenet, a couple other people go, yeah, I remember that guy. Yeah, I remember that guy too. Boy, you know, that must, you know, that, you know, that must have been a full, full woolen kilt. Yeah, you know, you know, you could only get away with that in the morning before it got hot. <laughs> and so that only happened, that only happened back then. You can't get away with that then because now, because first of all, they say, oh, that's a great cosplay, dude. Yeah, yeah that's great cosplay. You know, yeah, so, you know, that was, you know, that was then. Uh, yeah. You know, just, just all my friends, you know, I'm getting now to the point that, you know, that a lot of the people who I knew back then are gone. You know, I lost Greg Stafford last year. You know, uh, Darwin Bromley's gone. You know, we lost Dave a few years ago. I didn't know Gary that well. I, I met him a couple times. And the people who founded the hobby, you know, they're starting to go by the wayside. And, right. Uh, you know. It's a different feeling, you know, as, as it as it matures and crystallizes, it, it becomes a different thing. And then, yeah, and yeah, then the, the standard bearers, you know, uh, do what they will. And, and what's good uh, is things live on and it'll continue to grow and change. Right. And then there'll be a day that, oh, someone young tells you about how they've been at, you know, 30 something uh, Gen Cons, and they're carrying the torch of all the information too. It'll be a little different without program uh, books. Which uh, is it next year that the program books are just done? I don't know, but I just remembered some bad news I have for oh, one no. of you. Acapulco Joe's is gone. No, oh, not my Acapulco Joe's. Rough. Hate to be the bearer. Bad news. Well, I sorry, will Rich. understand the news as life goes. And, and save you a trip and save you a trip. Yes. That's actually <laughs> the good news to is I didn't actually walk all the way down there and go, what just happened? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Why is this so small when it used to be so giant? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, Randy, I, I want to thank you a ton for reaching out to us and asking to be on this show. It has been a huge pleasure having you here and helping us understand what it was like and what transpired to make things as they are now. That's really oh, incredible yeah. insight. Like, I don't think that, you know, we had done some research in our last history of Gen Con episode, but nothing like, obviously nothing like what you have done and what you've experienced, but really to surface Ooh, some of those. Stories. Yeah. Some of those specific nuggets. I just want to uh, say thank you so much for your time and expertise. Oh, you're welcome. Well, everyone at home, thanks a ton for tuning in and listening. This has been so informative and wonderful to hear how Gen Con grew and changed and the, the various crazy steps that it went through to be what it is today. As always, have fun and play well. May all your roles be crits.
Thanks for listening. If you like our style, please subscribe or rate, like the podcast within your app. It helps fellow listeners find us. We really appreciate it. So thank you. To join the community, you can find us on Twitter and Discord, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, all under the name High Shelf Gaming. Super easy to get connected and join the fun. This episode is copyrighted by High Shelf Gaming LLC and is not cleared for broadcast or syndication without written approval. The music was provided by Lil Funky on YouTube and our web presence is managed by Amy Nelson. Take care, friends. 